Uh, well, this morning we are wrapping up uh, the series that we've been in for the last six weeks entitled You and Me as we have been talking about relationships. And I've said this every week that what? Relationships are hard. They just are. You know, they're just, they're not always easy. We like to think that they're going to be easy, like there's no work to it, but they are just hard. Doesn't matter if relationships with your family, relationships at the office, at school, or even marriages. Marriages can be hard. They just aren't always easy. And there was something that happened to me a couple of years ago. I was walking, I was in Arizona, I was hiking up this trail. And I was by myself, and there, was a, there were two people in front of me. There was a guy who was probably in his 50s, and then it looked like probably his son who was in his 20s. And, uh, and I'm, you ever walk behind people and you can kind of ease up on the conversation and you're just like entertained. And I'm mildly entertained because I'm hearing the, the, what I perceive to be the father talking to the son, basically just destroying the concept of marriage, saying, this is so stupid. I can't believe people get married and they're just, they treat each other horrible, all these kind of things. And I'm like, this is a really depressing conversation I'm listening in on. And then he starts talking about the Andy Griffith show. And I don't know if, if you've ever recognized this, but I had never recognized this. And, and then I went and researched this, and it's true, because he said this. Hey, you ever, son, you ever realize why everyone got, so, uh, got along so well on the Andy Griffith show? And he's like, no. He's like, because everybody was single. <laughs> he, he's like, nobody was married. The only married guy on that show was this town drunk. <laughs> and he goes on to say, see, marriage is stupid, son. You should never. And I'm like, wow, this is really jaded. This makes me feel really, really depressed right now. But this is the perception I think sometimes we can have because relationships just aren't easy, right? They're hard. It's hard work. And when it comes to our spiritual life, there's other areas of our spiritual life that we can hide. You know, like whether or not you are giving, like that's between you and the Lord. Like nobody else is going to necessarily know that. Whether or not your thought life is the way it should be, maybe nobody's going to know that other than the Lord. You know, when, even when it comes to your prayer life, other people may not know what your prayer life is like, but how you treat people... They're all going to see that. Everybody, you can't hide the way that you relate to other people. And so what we're going to talk about this morning is one of these principles that really can help us. And I think what we're going to talk about today, if we get it right, it should be and can be the most enticing thing for a lost world when it comes to what does it mean to follow Christ. And so my prayer is that we get a hold of this thing, because I think God wants us to live a better way than what we see in the world around us. If you got your Bibles, would you turn with me to the book of James, the book of James chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. Uh, as you're turning there, would you stand with me? There's nothing sacred about saying. It's just what we do around here to honor God's word. But I encourage you to have your Bible. If you want to pull a phone out and follow along this morning, I'd encourage you to do that. James chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. It says this, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your work. God, I thank you that we wouldn't just sit around and listen to me talk today. I pray that we would hear from your spirit. Would you speak specifically to every one of us? We want to hear from you. Pray that in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. You can be seated. Well, there are certain things in life that we just know go together. I, I've talked about this before, right? You fill in the blank for me. Peanut butter and... Very good. A burger and Egg salt and Egg bacon and Egg. 
Nope, the answer is everything. Everything goes with bacon. It's amazing with everything. It just makes things better. If you didn't know that, just try it. You ever had a donut with bacon on it? Still good. Still good, okay? There's just things that go together. But there, then there are things in our world that are simply incompatible. Like they don't go well together. It just doesn't really work together. But then there's some other things in life that can't go together. Isn't that they're just a little uncomfortable? They just don't fit? No, they literally can't go together. And what we're talking about, this passage talks about two of those things. And so this morning, if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write this. We're going to start today with our big so what, actually. We're going to kind of work off of there, all right? The big so what for this morning is this. Partiality and following Christ are incompatible. Partiality and following Christ are incompatible. Look what it says in verse number one. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Now, if you're like me, you're saying, Greg, he says favoritism. He doesn't talk about partiality in this. Why using the word partiality? Because uh, the original Greek is actually more associated with its concept of partiality. I'll talk about that in just a second here. Because when you see the word favoritism, I think you might think like I do. Like, well, Greg, there are some people in my life that I that I kind of treat like my favorites. Like for me, I show favoritism toward my wife and rightfully so because she's my favorite, okay? I like her and so I treat her different than I will treat other people, all right? But that's not what we're talking about with this word in the original Greek. This word of partiality, the definition for that word is this. The fault of one who when called on to give judgment has respect of the outward circumstances of a man and not their intrinsic merits. And so prefers as the one more worthy, one who is rich, high-born, or powerful to the one who does not have these qualities. That's what it means to show partiality towards someone. It's assigning worth and value to someone based on extrinsic characteristic, the stuff that doesn't really matter. That's what it means to show partiality. And so, so this is what this passage is talking about. And so James would say this, partiality and following Christ are incompatible. In fact, he says this, it's showing partiality reveals that you and I have been polluted by the world. What do we mean by that? Uh, you know this, and I say this all the time, that we have to look at scripture in context, right? We can't just pluck verses out. And a lot of times when we turn to a chapter, we start verse number one, we're like, okay, cool, new idea, new thought. The problem is a lot of times it's connected to something in the previous chapter and we miss out on that, okay? So if you back up one verse, just back up one verse right before verse number one of chapter two and you look at verse 27 of chapter one, it says this, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So he says, listen, don't be polluted by the world. Now, let me give you an example of what it looks like if you're going to be polluted by the world. That's what he's doing here. And so we get into the story that he's talking about right here. And so he says, listen, he tells a story. I can tell you the story. You got, imagine you're at church. We're at church on a Sunday. And somebody walks in, and they got a gold ring, and it's clear that they got money, right? And your reaction to them is like, hey, hey, come here. Come here, buddy, pal. Come here. Look, I got a great seat for you. I got the best seat in the house for you. Can I get you something to drink? Can I do something for you? Hey, you want to come hang out with me later on? But then a poor person walks in the door, and they got filthy, dirty clothes. And they walk in, and you're like, hey, hey, yeah. Yeah, find a seat somewhere. That's fine, yeah. I, if we're out of seats, you can go sit in the lobby. That's not a big deal, right? Yeah, yeah. good to see you. Yep, yep. No more conversation. You don't invite them over. You don't want to build a bridge to them. Why? You know that. Right? How you treated them 
changed. Why? It wasn't because of something deep inside. It was extrinsic qualities that don't really matter, the things that aren't important. And what he says in verse number four at the end of the passage that we just looked at, he says this, if you've done this, if you respond this way, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? It's like, whoa, dude, I'm just, I don't have evil thoughts. I'm just reacting a little bit differently. Maybe you do the same thing. So why does he use this phrase, evil intent? I think our motivation for how we treat people is often grounded in the level of our own selfishness. The amount of selfishness that we are allowing in our life will dictate the way we relate to other people. What do I mean when I say that? See, there's a question that's running. Maybe it's not running through your head all the time, but it's running through my head all the time. And the question I ask is this, what's best for me? What's best for me? See, we don't say it out loud. We don't think it specifically. But every moment of every day, we're asking, when you wake up in the morning, what's good for me? What do I want? What's going to fill my needs? We're all naturally wired that way to be concerned with ourselves. What's best for me? And the same thing is true even when we engage with other people. When we engage and we talk to people, we're having the, we might not say it specifically, but we're naturally bent to this idea, well, what is going to be good for me? So let's take the story and play this out for a second. Guy walks in with a gold ring. Got, clearly, this person's doing well. And so, so you may not think it explicitly in your mind, but you recognize this person's rich, influential, powerful. This could be good for me to have a relationship here. And so you say, come here, come here. I want to be around people like this. Why? Because might, I might get a little something out of this thing in some way, right? But then somebody who's poor walks in the door, and they smell. They're dirty. What's the reaction? Well, this person has no money. They have no influence. They, they might smell. They have no power. There's nothing extrinsically that would cause me to want to be with this person. They can do nothing for me. In fact, because they're poor, they might actually require something of me. They might need something from me. And so what's our natural response? Ugh, I'm not going to go there. I don't want to lean into that conversation because it might require something. That's not what's best for me. See, we don't say these things out loud. None of us, we're better than that. We don't say these things out loud, but the way that we react oftentimes is grounded in these same thoughts. That's partiality. That's what it means to determine your love and your care for someone in a way that's been polluted by the world around us. Because around in our world, it's normal to treat people based on what you get out of it. That's normal. That's kind of the standard way of people existing. And what James is trying to speak to us, and I think he's saying it to us today in 2022, he's saying, listen, that's fine that that's how the world lives, but if you want to follow Christ, we do things differently. We live differently. We respond differently. We treat people differently. Now, what are some of the things in our day and age, what are some of the basis for partiality that might affect the way that we care for someone, the way that we love somebody? I think one of them can still be wealth. It can still be wealth. Like we respond to different, somebody's got wealth, like we're like, hey, 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 buddy, pal, you want to hang out? You know, we might get something out of this thing. Sometimes it's influence. You like to be around people of influence, people that can make a difference in some way. Maybe you, you know, you're hanging out with people. Maybe if I'm around them, maybe more people will know me. This will help me in some way. Maybe we, we base our partiality on education. People who've had a certain level of ed- education, they're the ones that you treat a certain way, but people who don't, you just treat a different way can do the same thing around success. I want to be around people who are successful, who really got stuff going on in their life. That's who I want to be around. I don't want to be around that person's a failure. I don't want to be any part around those types of people. Or it can go even very simpler, much simpler to things like their looks and appearance. Like you want to be around beautiful people. 
I'd rather be around the good-looking people who got their stuff together. And I don't, people like that, I don't really want to be. You don't say it out loud, but that's the, you see yourself treating people differently. Migrating toward people because of those reasons. It can be things like even race. My response to people. Partiality, and maybe not just race, but culture. Someone's culture that you recognize, where their background, those kind of things. It changes the way that you respond to people. It can be language. Someone's speaking a different language or not speaking your language the way that you would like. And it can change the way that we respond to people. And it can even be personality. Anybody ever met somebody who just like their personality just drives you crazy? You ever met somebody like that? Right? Like we all have those kind of people, right? And, and it's like, and we can get to an unhealthy place where it actually changes. And I want to clarify something for a second. It says partiality isn't preference. Okay, it isn't preference because we all prefer certain things. It's okay if there's certain personalities you prefer. It's okay if there's certain types of people you like. That's okay. We all have different preferences that fight. It's not preference. It's preferential treatment based on those things. It's saying, you know what? I'm going to treat this person differently because of the way they are or the way they aren't, right? And it's, it's caring for them or changing the way that we love and our concern for someone because of these things that don't really matter. And so let's just dig into this and let's get real practical for a moment and talk about what does this look like? What does practic- or partiality look like in our own life? Uh, oftentimes in our life, it shows up by only caring for people who can do something for us. Caring for the people who do something for us. How does this benefit me in some point? Uh, you, you've maybe had an experience like this before. You've been around somebody who maybe is, everybody knows or is popular or something like that. And, and it's just this tendency of like everybody wants to migrate around that person or whatever, the popular person in the crowd, whatever. And everybody just follows what they have to do. Amber and I a few years ago had a very interesting uh, circumstance. We had a relationship that we ended up uh, building with someone who, if I said their name, most of you in the room would know it. Probably uh, one of the most, if not the most uh, known athlete in Minnesota right now. And, uh, and, and so we have this relationship with this person. And being around them in public was very, very funny. First off, he, he was like a 22-year-old dumb kid. You know, he's just still, a, he, but he's just really good at sports. So that's fine. But you would watch him around grown men. You'd have 50, 60-year-old men just oohing and odding like children, right? They would see him walking like, oh, you're so amazing. You're so awesome. I'm like, dude, he is a kid. <laughs> like, you know, get over it. It's not a big deal. He's just a human being. It's a, but people are that way. Just, and they would want to be around. And when we would go into public, you could just see people just, everybody just like swarming this person. They want to be around. Everybody wants to be attracted. And they would leave the people that they actually care about, their own families. Just because I want to go be by this person. Like there, there is this thing inside of us that wants to be near those who in some way we perceive having more value and we treat them differently. But we have to understand this uh, because uh, this can in fact infect our relationships, our conversations, and our interactions. Why? Because sometimes the way that we interact with people, we think of it very transactionally. You ever been in a conversation with somebody? You've had this happen, I'm sure, because I've had this happen to me. You've been in a conversation with somebody? And you're in a crowd, maybe you're in the lobby here at church, or maybe you're somewhere out, you're in an event, something like this. There's all these people around, and you see somebody that, that's more fun or that you are more interested in talking with, but you're stuck in the conversation with the person you're in right now. You ever had that happen before? Right? And then what do we normally do? Somehow you act a little cold and a little aloof, so hopefully they'll get the fact that I don't want to have this conversation anymore, so I can go talk to something more important, somebody that I'd rather be with. And see, this is this moment where we recognize we're kind of polluted in the way we're responding to somebody. Because I'm not getting what I want out of this conversation. Rather than treating them with love and care, 
I'm trying to just, can I be done with this one so I can go to someone else that I'd rather be with? And what, what James is trying to say is that the natural way that we all operate, that's not healthy. That's not what God is calling of us. He's calling us to live a different way than the world does. See, this whole idea of a transactional relationship is something I've mentioned before that can happen even in marriages. Marriages, we can get into a place, marriage is not supposed to be 50-50, it's supposed to be 100-100. It's two people serving completely, giving everything they've got for the sake of the other. When it turns transactional, it's just like, okay, if you do this, I'll do this, and if you do that, like, that's not a marriage. That's not what God's intention for. Like, you can get away for a while, but somewhere along the way, that gets super toxic, because you're just playing a game all the time. You're not actually loving each other. And this same thing can happen in our relationships out here. As long as you're giving me what I want, then I'll share and love you and care for you. But that's not what God's desire for us. He says, that's the world's way. That's how they live. That's not how you're supposed to live. Jesus talked about this in Luke chapter 14. He was telling a story and he was saying, listen, when you throw a party, what's the normal thing you do? When you throw a party, the normal thing is you're going to invite all your friends over who can invite you back. You're going to invite them to your party because you'll invite them to your party. And then a few weeks later, they're going to have a party. And you all get invited to go back to that party. And you just kind of keep trading back and forth. He's like, don't do that. He's like, when you throw a party, it's fine. Invite your friends. But you should invite some people who can't afford to invite you back. You should invite the people who don't ever get invited to the parties. Invite them. Why? Because that's different. That's kingdom living. Because if you do it the other way, that's what everybody does. Everybody just loves the people that love them. That's normal. But kingdom people love the people that don't do anything. They can't do anything for them. That's how we look different than the world around us. And he's asking us to live that way. See, we assign value and worth in different ways than the world does. It's not what can I get. No, it's that you have intrinsic value because you're created in the image of God. And therefore, I can love and care for you in a way that doesn't make sense to the world. You can't give anything to me. Doesn't matter. That's not why I'm loving you. I'm loving you because you have value that's outside of your ability to earn it from me, okay? That's what God's asking of us. See, we assign value and worth to people that others overlook. That's what we're invited to, okay? All right, so what does partiality look like in our own life? We kind of explained that a little bit, but I want to look, what does partiality look like in the church? And the sad truth is I don't really have to explain this to you because my guess is that a lot of you have experienced it in your life. Um, For good or for bad, one of the conversations that Amber and I have on a regular basis is people walking in these doors and they use the phrase, yeah, I've got some church hurt in my back, in my past. And uh, I would guess that if you've been in the church for very long, you've probably had some church hurt. And we always like to say it's not the church, it's people, because people are people and they hurt us. That's just how life is sometimes. But we've all experienced it. Why? Why have we experienced what we would call church hurt? It's because of this very thing getting stuck in a church. Because what does it do? It produces a toxic culture that looks just like the world does. Instead of being this amazing community, it oftentimes can look like something totally, totally different, right? What can happen is at times in a church, you get a church, we're all in the room together, but everybody knows there's factions inside of the church because there's the, there's the people who are the us's and the them's. There's the insiders, there's the outsiders, there's those that are perceived as the, the ones who are on the top. Those are perceived at the bottom. And it creates this factions and division. And rather than feeling like what God desires, it feels cold and the culture feels unloving. And my guess is many of you at some time in your past may have experienced a church culture that felt just like that. My prayer is when you walk in these doors, that's not what you felt in this place. But I know that God is continuing to call us into a deeper level of this, right? See, the root of this whole thing that James is trying to talk about is love. Do you remember what Jesus said? When we talked to his disciples, 
And he said this, they will know you by your, no, that's not the right answer. They will not know you by your love. They will know you by your love for one another. See, a lot of us, we want to think about, oh, oh they're going to know us by the way we go out into the, into the world and like serve. And we go work at the, you know, the nonprofits and we go do all this stuff. And I go to my neighbor. And those are things we absolutely should do. But Jesus said the greatest marker of his believers is that we would love one another. Why? Because it doesn't make any sense. Like you get in a room like this, we don't all like the same stuff. We don't all like to say, we dislike different things. Like we're, we're all over the board. We have different backgrounds, different experiences, whatever it is. But the thing that would be a, a light to the world around us is watching a community like this actually love one another in an impartial way where it doesn't mean I only love the people that can do something. No, I love the people who can do nothing for me. The people who giving, they're not filling my bucket up at all, but I'm not here to have my bucket filled. I'm here to care for someone else. That's what is supposed to look enticing to the world around us. He's calling us to this, that, that we, we aren't thinking about using each other, like what's in it for me. Instead, we're thinking about loving each other. And hear this, when our motivation, when our motivation is to love people, then when we walk into a room, we don't have to find the coolest person in the room. You know, when you walk into a room, a lot of times, what is our natural bent? Look at, first off, I like to walk in and find somebody I know. Anybody agree with me? Like, I walk into a crowd like, do I know anybody? Do I know anybody? Okay. And then I start thinking, well, who do I want to be with right now? Who, who would make me happy if I was around them right now? That's, that's who I naturally want to look at. But see, when our desire is to love, we don't walk in and say, who's the coolest person? Who's the most fun person? Right? Who's the best looking person? Who's the richest person? Who's the most influential? Who's the one that's good for me? No, I walk in, I just say, who's the first person that needs love? Here I am. I look for the person who maybe nobody else is talking to. You say, God, how can, I, how can I show love to them? Can they do anything for me? Doesn't matter. That's not why I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking to them for that reason. I'm talking to them because they need, they need love. And I want to be that. See, James is inviting us into something that's way better. Like people like that would inspire us. The people who walk in the door, you've been in, you've been in a conversation because we've all been. We've all been the person in a conversation with someone, and we know that the other person really is disinterested in what we're talking about. You ever felt that moment? You're like, they don't give a rip about what I'm saying right now. They don't care. I feel it. We've all had that happen to us. We've also been in con contact with somebody before we recognize, man, they, they really care about me right now. They love what I'm saying. They're actually interested in my life. They're concerned about what's going on. We've all experienced that as well. Which person do we appreciate? Which person is inspiring to us? It's really clear. God's calling us, would we be those kind of people? And could we be that kind of a church? I see it in our church. So often I, I have people walk in these doors and they, they say these very things about us as a church. But my prayer is that more and more we would look more and more like Christ and that we would less and less look like the world. That we would look like people that serve his kingdom, not the kingdoms of this world. My prayer is that we as a church, that we would be a place with no regard for wealth or influence or personality. Like none of those things really matter. We love everyone. Doesn't matter what you like when you walk in the door. We are here to care for you and to love for you. My prayer is that we'd be a church that's a place of rest where you don't walk in the door and it's a sense of striving like I got to prove my value. No, we assume your value because we know that you are made in the image of God and you have eternal value intrinsically. It isn't what you can produce for us. It's who you are and who God has made you to be. That we would be a church where the forgotten are seen. 
The people who feel like the rest of the world forgets them. Nobody cares about me, but when they walk in these doors, they will be seen. That's my prayer. My prayer is that we would be a church where poor people feel rich. When they walk in and nobody cares about me anywhere else, but when I'm here, it's like I'm, I'm just the wealthy one because everybody wants to be around me. And this is a place where the wealthy can feel normal, okay? Because wealthy people are used to people asking for money. They're used to kind of coming at them and they can walk in the door. You know what? I'm just a person when I walk in the door. I'm a broken person just like everybody else in the room. That's my prayer is that we'd be that kind of a church. That we'd be a place where there may be groups. Of course, there's gonna be groups in this church, but that never feel exclusive. It never feels like we're divided in this, oh, it's an us and them mindset at all. That this would be a place where anyone can talk to anyone, right? There's no hierarchy. There's no like, oh, I can't talk to them. I don't have it. No, no, no. doesn't matter that we all can share with one another and that this would be a place where everyone who walks in feels a different. They feel the sense that, man, this isn't the way things are everywhere else. This is our family. Exactly. This is family. This is family. When uh, we get to the end of the book of Revelation, there's a picture that we see, right? It's painted. What is it? Around the throne, every tongue, every tribe, every nation. Why are they there? Because they all like the same sports team? No. Because they, you know, they all got the same stuff going on. They got the same background? No. They're there because they're serving the king. And there's a unity that exists. Despite all the differences, there's a unity that exists. And what God is calling and inviting us into as followers of Christ, he said, listen, my desire is that right now you would begin to reflect what it's going to look like down there, right? That we would live out the fullness of his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, that we would be unified under his lordship. And it doesn't matter whether we all get along with the same ideas and stuff. No, we can choose to love one another, not because we've earned it, because we deserve it, but because God has loved us when we didn't deserve it. And so we say, God, I'm going to empty my love and my care for those around me, no matter the circumstances. I'm not drawing boundaries around my love. I'm not going to part, have partiality toward those around me. Instead, I'm going to choose to love everyone no matter the circumstance. Partiality and following Christ are incompatible. It's incompatible. So this morning, my prayer is, okay, God, where in my heart do you need to make a change? Is it possible that there's someone in my life, is there possible there's a circumstance in my life where I'm still operating in a way that's outside of your will for my life, where I'm acting polluted in the world? I want to paint you a picture real quick. Uh, when Amber and I, I came here just over three years ago, uh, we were having some prayer uh, times on Wednesday nights for a few weeks. And in one of those nights, up on the wall, we had, I put a big old one of those like sticky pieces of paper up on the wall, and I'm writing some things down. And as we were praying, I felt like God uh, put a, a picture in my mind. And I did my best to write, uh, draw the picture. This is the picture if you want to pull it up here. I'm a really good drawer here. Can anyone guess what this is? A broom. It's none of those things, so that's fine. I'm going to stick to my day job then, okay? But what I, what I sense God, this again, this was a little over three years ago. I sense God say like, okay, this is what I want to do. You've ever, this is a river, okay? <laughs> Just wait. You'll get it. It's coming. Shut up, Micah. Okay. And it should go this way. Like, it should be the other way around, probably, because we're used to rivers flowing down. But anyways, so you got a river flowing. And if you've ever noticed this or understood when it comes to rivers, you've got the river. You've got a raging river. 
But way before you get the raging river, what do you have? You got all these little streams, inlets that are kind of all coming together, right? And if all of them went this way, you never get a river. You just get a bunch of little streams. But if they all start flowing together, what happens? There's this great unity and suddenly there's a power and there's this movement and everything is moving together. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And at the time, again, this was a little over three years ago, I sensed God saying, this is, this, is what, this is what I'm doing in this church and this is what I'm asking of you. And what happened initially, what I was, at the moment, I was thinking, okay, well, clearly, all right, there's the church who's already been here because there, there's been a church here, an amazing church here for over 40 years. There's this church, and then me and Amber are one of these little inlets, and then when we stepped in, there was a number of people that joined in with us initially, and then over the first few months, there was a number of people that joined in. There was all these little inlets, and I was just praying for unity, and we as a body were praying. You know, if you remember, that was what we prayed over and over and over, God, unify our hearts, bind us together, because at the end of the day, what does the enemy want to do? divide us, right? He wants to divide us. And so he said, no, God, would you unify our hearts? But over the last three years, what, what have we seen? Over and over again, there's been inlet moments in our congregation with, of God bringing and drawing new people into our congregation. And my prayer is the same that it was back then. God, would you unify our hearts? Would you unify? Would you allow these streams to flow together into one? This piece of paper, I took a picture, is still sitting on my door. I drew this thing and I've held on to this because I think this is something God wants over our congregation. And we continue to pray this over our church. But the fear that I can have and that we often see in the world is that just because you're in a room together doesn't mean there's unity. You know? We all know that. You know, you know families that live in the same house, but there ain't any unity there, you know? You got offices. They all in the office all week long, and everybody hates each other in the office. And the same thing can happen, unfortunately, in a church. We can all gather together on Sundays and unfortunately, what can happen? We can have factions within a congregation. Different groups of people that, you know, the, hey, these are the people I hang out. I don't hang out with those people or I don't connect with those people. And it's not always malicious. It's not always that we're doing it with evil intent. But it's this natural thing in the way that we respond and treat one another. And I, my prayer today is the same as it was three years ago. And it's the prayer we're going to need to continue to pray because it's the prayer Jesus prayed over us back in, I think, John 17, where he said, would you be one? My prayer is that you would be one. And my prayer for us, our prayer, Amber and I's prayer for this congregation is that we would be one. That it doesn't matter what your likes or your dislikes are, where you come from, what group you've been a part of. No, we are all one and we can all talk to one another, care for one another, show love to one another. When Sunday mornings happen, it isn't like, how can I just find my people? No, we're all my people. All y'all are my people, okay? Some of you I might hang out with more than others, but you're all my people. And no matter what you're going through, I'm here for you. And my prayer is that we would be here for one another that we would be that kind of a church, that we don't just, we're not just an event on Sunday, that we are a family that cares for one another. That's the better. And if we can get this right, folks, if we can live this right, that's what should be enticing to the world around us, to a lost and broken world that doesn't see this. They see division all the time. But if they would walk in these doors and see what in the world, these people care about me. I just walked in the door and they care about me. And you walk around and see people who have nothing in common outside of the fact that they love Jesus with all their heart and they selflessly serve one another. That's what we're called to be. That's what he's invited us into. That's what he's asking of us. Could we be that kind of a church? So I want to give us a challenge, a very simple challenge this morning. Take a step to love the other. Take a step to love the other. Who's the other? I don't know. Who is it for you? Because we've all got somebody. We've all got a type of people, a group of people that maybe we just struggle to love. We struggle to care. 
I think very practically about Sunday mornings and the body here at Zoe. When you walk in the door, there may be somebody who is an other to you in this room. Maybe it's they got a different personality, they got a different background, you feel uncut, whatever it is. I don't know what the, what the situation is. Could we be the kind of church that says, you know what, I'm not going to walk in and just look for the people that, that make my life better. No, I want to go love the other. I want to go care for the person. I want to find the person in the lobby that nobody else is talking to, and I'm going to go spark a conversation with them. Ask them how they're doing. Not looking to see how is it going to fill my cup, but how can I show love to them and care for them? Can I be that kind of a person? Could we be that kind of a church? That's my hope. And I'm a, I'm a pastor, so I go to, sometimes go to pastor events, you know, with lots of other pastors. And you know me, I'm an introvert guy, so it's super uncomfortable to begin with. Like I'd rather go just hide in the corner by myself. But um, when I go to these events sometimes, you'll, you'll see what, what I refer to as spiritual networking going on. Um, and networking is a good thing. Like, you got to network. That's part of life. But sometimes you get with a bunch of pastors, and it's just like everybody's toggling for who can be the most, the coolest, and have the coolest conversation, talk to the right people, and get in with the right people. I don't know about you, but that just makes me think about the world. I don't really think that's what God's desire. And I think the same thing can happen here in the church. We walk in, and we're like, how can I toggle? Nah, none of that stuff matters. How can I just come love the one who's in front of me. I'm not looking for the smartest. I'm not looking for the prettiest. I'm not looking for the whatever. I'm looking for the next person who needs love. And can I show love? Because at the end of the day, my success is not how many connections can I make. It's how faithful can I be with the people that God puts in front of me. Because far be it from me that I would be the one who sidesteps the person God has put in my path to go try and get to somebody else because it'll make my life better. I don't want to be that person. God, help me be faithful. Okay? So what does it look like in your life? to take a step to love the other. Even today, maybe there's an other today that you could go connect with on five, 10, 15 minutes before you walk out the door today to care for somebody. That we would be more and more like the church God's calling us to be. Today, it's interesting that today is uh, um, Pentecost Sunday. How many of you know Pentecost Sunday is all about when the Spirit was poured out on Acts chapter 2? infilling the Holy Spirit. And the good news is that sometimes some of you, are, you're thinking about the other right now and you're like, Greg, I can't love them. They drive me crazy. Good news is that you have the power of the Holy Spirit residing in you. And his desire is like, he can fill you more. Because some of you, what you need to pray is like, God, fill me up with your Holy Spirit because I can't do this on my own. I need your help to love. I need your help to forgive. I need your help to care for that person. And so I want to just take a moment before we uh, transition. I want to just take a moment to to just pray and invite the Holy Spirit in our lives. If you're comfortable doing so, would you just put your hands out like this? Father, we come to you today. We recognize we're still broken. We're still messed up. We go the wrong way sometimes. But Father, we need you um, to fill us anew. We sang it earlier. God, would you fill us anew? We need a fresh wind of your spirit in our lives. God, I need it every day, God, that I would demonstrate your love in a powerful way, not under my own strength, but under the power of the Holy Spirit. So Spirit, fill us right now, as I know, you're, you're speaking to our hearts about maybe some people that we need, to, we need to change maybe the way we're acting toward them or relating to them. God, I pray that you would give us your power to do it. God, that we wouldn't just try and go in our own strength, that we'd go under the power of the Holy Spirit. We need you, Lord Jesus. Pray that in Jesus' name.